Good morning. We are continuing our sermon series in Genesis. And for the last two weeks, we've been looking at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And I think it's been a refreshing look as we've looked at the why of creation. We've looked at God's greatness and his purpose. And God's creative purpose is to build a beautiful space for people to live in and flourish and thrive and receive his blessings and provision. And we often miss that when we look at Genesis 1 and we think about what's happening and think about when it's happening. And we'll talk about that more to come, but we tend to focus on the facts and the specifics. And if you think about it, there are two different ways to approach the passage. And if you're a fixer-upper fan, think about the differing approaches of Chip and Joanna Gaines. Our normal view is the Chip Gaines view. We look at the materials and the floor plan and the bare bones of the house. But we have to also see the Joanna Gaines view because Joanna comes in and she makes the house into a home. Right? She makes it a place where people can flourish and she adds plants and shiplap and big dining room tables and fluffy pillows fluffed just right. She makes the house into a home. And that's what we see in Genesis. It's not just about the materials of building a house. It's about God making a home where he can rest with his people and love them and care for them and provide for them. And Genesis 1 ends with verse 31. And it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And we usually think of this as the culmination of the creation account. It ends here with chapter, at the end of chapter one with the creation of man. And there's good reason. Man, humanity, people, us, we are the high point of creation, made in the image of God. And God presents man with the plants for food and the animals to rule over. It looks like this is the high point, the climax of creation. But as you might be aware, the chapter breaks and the verse numbers weren't in the original text, they're added later. And the unfortunate result of that is that it looks like the seventh day is an afterthought. It's a separate thing, kind of an anti-climax to the climax of, the cre of creation and the creation of man. But the seventh day is not just an add-on. It's not just an afterthought. The seventh day where God comes to rest in his creation, that's the culmination. That's the whole purpose of God's creation is so God can rest in it. Days 1 to 6 lead up to this in Genesis 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3, the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does it mean that God rested? God doesn't get tired or worn out. He doesn't need a break and to take a nap and restore his energy and ability to function like we do. He stopped the work of creation because the work is completed. He's done doing what he set out to do. The world is ready, a place where people can live and thrive. And God rested from creation. But it doesn't mean he stopped working altogether. 
didn't just sit back to do nothing or lay down to take a nap. He was done creating, but there was other work to do. As creator and sustainer of the world, God took up the work of sustaining, ordering, controlling, reigning over his world, and providing for all that he had created. And God's rest is the rest of completion, culmination, and delight. The idea here of rest is so much richer than just to stop working. God's rest means the achievement of the goal and the enjoyment of the glory of the place he has created. He finished the work, stopped, blessed it, made it holy and sacred, and delighted in it. He completed the work that he set out to do, and he rested, delighted, and enjoyed what he had created. And you can relate to this when you think about the creative things that you do. When we create, it's not just the creating part, it's the enjoyment of the thing we've created. We just sent a team to Baja to build a house for a family in need. And some of them have already started arriving back. They'll be back sometime this morning. And some of them really enjoy hammering and painting. But they didn't go just to build a house. They went to build a home so that a family could flourish and thrive in it. The culmination isn't hammering the last nail or putting that last finishing touch of paint on. They always say that the best part is the gathering with the family at the end and handing over the keys. They stand with the family in this holy moment and appreciate what they've done, recognize the impact they have on this family who are receiving a house, maybe for the first time ever, and on a community who are seeing God, who are seeing Christians at work in their midst. When we create, we enjoy what we've created. There are a few CBC women who still quilt, and every Christmas we donate about 30 quilts to Olive Crest. We used to meet once a month to sew together. This was before the pandemic, and I really don't miss the sewing together and lugging all my stuff to church. But what I do miss is that we would bring our completed quilts, and we would ooh and ah over them and admire each other's work. And then I would gather them and take them to Olive Crest and hear their appreciation and hear how Quickly, they're picked over by the women and the families who are there. We delight in what we create. And on the seventh day, God rested. And God's rest is one of deep pleasure in his creation, taking joy in what he's done. His purpose was to create a beautiful space, a sacred space for him to dwell with his people, to take up residence with them and to be with them and care for them. And that's what he did. God rested in the rest of culmination, completion, and delight. And in chapter 1, at the end of every day, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, and there was evening and there was morning the second day, on up to the sixth day. Days 1 to 6 ended, but day 7 doesn't end with this statement. It just says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And the seventh day does not end. Rest in his creation, with his creation, is an ongoing goal. It doesn't end. And right here on the seventh day, God sets up life to be a life with him, a life of trust. And he comes to rest with his people, to be with them. 
and he will command his people to not forget that he is their God and to remember this always on the Sabbath. The author of the creation account is believed to be Moses. And he's writing this after 400 years for the people of Israel of work, of backbreaking constant labor, no rest, no days off. Their whole existence was to work, to produce. And when God calls them to be their people and promises to be their God, from the very beginning, he establishes rest. He establishes a remembrance of that rest in the Sabbath. In the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is the command to set aside one day to remember this, to stop working and to observe God's rest in the Sabbath. They're to remember that God is here and to enjoy his presence. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, tells us this in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And throughout scripture, God commanded his people to remember the Sabbath, to remember who he is, and to trust him so that they can trust him on all the other days. We can get a clearer picture of this rest by looking at how God provides throughout the Old Testament. God gives rest to his people. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And God's presence is rest. Moses thinks he's in charge, that it's all up to him. But God is in control. And God's presence is freedom from anxiety and striving and trying to make things happen. And when we rest, we trust in God. We believe that he is with us, that he cares for us, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing that he's with us and for us. And for Israel, rest also meant rest, even when they were surrounded by their enemies. On the brink of entering the Promised Land, Moses says in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12:10. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. And God's rest is safety. It's protection. God gives rest because he is with his people, caring for them. They'll be safe from enemies, invasion, conflict, and able to live their lives in peace and safety as they trust him. As creator and sustainer, God orders the world. He controls it. He knows everything that's going on in the world and he provides and protects his people. And for us, the world right now seems like a mess. It doesn't look like God is always in control. It can look like a scary place. But we can trust God. 
like Israel, we can believe that God is caring for us. We might feel afraid of enemies or the threats of war, but we can rest in the security of knowing God, knowing that he cares for us, that he is in control, and we can find Sabbath rest in his presence. Rest seems like such an easy thing to do, such a good thing to do. But throughout scripture, Israel struggled to take a Sabbath day. And we struggle with it too. How many of you take all your vacation days and really stop working when you're supposed to? Last week, Adam Grant's Work Life podcast featured a startup company called Simpla Flying. And they initially had an unlimited vacation policy unlimited vacation days, but people wouldn't take them because they hesitated. They didn't want to look like slackers and take more days than other days. So he, they figured out that the only way they could do this was to make vacation mandatory. And the boss, Shashank Nijem, said this, everyone's going to take one week off every seven weeks. Mandatory vacation days. One week every seven weeks. We actually added a stick to it as well from day one. On the week off, we will punish you if you're not working, if you're working. You lose a week's worth of pay if you reply to any email, WhatsApp, or Slack message, internally or to a client. Your pay will be docked for the week. And that worked. <laughs> he explained that it's his responsibility to ensure the business survives, and it can only survive and thrive if the employees are themselves thriving. They did a statistical analysis after the first few weeks and found that productivity, creativity, and employee happiness were all up significantly. And Nijem says, one guy, he loved numbers and being in Excel, and he comes back from his week off. I don't know what he did or what he didn't do that week, but in client brainstorm sessions after he came back, he was giving the best ideas in the room, and I'm just looking at him. People were coming back and participating in meetings like they had not previously done. And that's the idea of Sabbath, that we take time off to be restored and revived, and we come back from our time off with more excitement and joy than we've ever had. And God declared it mandatory too, but it didn't work in Israel the way God intended it to. But it can for us. In Matthew 11:28 to 30, Jesus invites us to something better and greater. He invites us not just to a day off to rest, but a life of rest, a life of trusting him, being with him. Matthew 11:28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few verses later, the Pharisees accused the disciples of doing unlawful work on the Sabbath. And Jesus proclaims himself Lord of the Sabbath. He is in control. And we can trust him to lead, provide, and care for us. We can live a life that is secure and stable as we trust him and rest in him. God's rest sets up our life to be a life with him, a life of trust. It's not meant to just be an add-on or an afterthought for us either. God establishes rest. Just he, as he rested and enjoyed his creation on the seventh day, he calls us to rest 
Jesus' offer of rest is meant to be a way of life, for us to trust him for one day so that we can trust him for the, all the other days. And Sabbath is how we cultivate this life of trust. From the beginning, God established Sabbath rest so that we can remember he's in control and we can trust him. We trust God enough to stop working for a time, knowing that work is not all there is. We remember we're not in control. It's a day to enjoy whatever brings you joy, to appreciate God in it. It's a day to worship and to love and appreciate and respect God, to come before God with awe, the God of creation. And we express our love and trust when we observe the Sabbath and we rest in him. And we've talked about this before, so maybe you've started it, or you've tried to establish your own Sabbath rest in whatever way works for you. And it can be challenging. It's okay to think that it's challenging and it's hard, and maybe for some of you, almost impossible. If you're a parent of young kids, a caregiver, if you're a business owner or you face extra demands, a whole day off might not work. You have to think about it, experiment, practice, try new things, figure out how it works for you. And it might not be a whole day. It might be a few hours, an hour, a few minutes here and there. It's challenging to trust God and to find rest in Him. I try to take Mondays off, but I struggle with that too. I struggle with not adding a paragraph to my sermon or answering your emails and hoping you can wait until Tuesday. It takes effort to trust God that you won't judge me or that my sermon will get done. And this past Monday, I was acutely aware of this because I knew I'd be talking about this. And my sermon wasn't where I thought it should be. And on Tuesday, I wanted to attend an all-day online conference. And so I really wrestled with this on Monday morning. And I asked God, like, I think I need to work on the message. And I felt like God was calling me just to take a break for the morning. And I went to El Dorado Park to walk and enjoy the fresh air and clear my mind. And, as I got out of the car, the first song was Lauren Daigle's Thank God I Do. And I sometimes think God fiddles with my playlist. But the refrain goes, I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you. I'd probably fall off the edge. I don't know where I'd go if I ever let go. So keep me held in your hands. I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you. Thank God I do. And the song spoke to me. I was glad I was there. And I listened to the song a few times. And then I turned the volume off just to listen for what God wanted to say, to reflect and pray and think about what was going on. And as I was walking, just a few minutes later, there was a woman in front of me with her huge dog. And the dog was barking wildly and lunging at a squirrel, and she could barely hold on. I thought he was going to get away from her, and I just thought, what is wrong with her? Why would she bring her dog to a park where there's squirrels and other dogs and people and not be able to control this dog. And this little voice said, kind of judgmental, aren't you? <laughs> but I used to have a wild dog, and I was very careful. So I argued with God about this. She should stay home. She should be somewhere where she can control this dog. And as I was walking after she passed, and my rant kind of winded down, I began to realize just how judgmental I am of Someone I don't even know. I don't know her situation. This dog is not even my problem. And so I began to realize, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be praying too. And so I told God, sorry, I got distracted. 
sorry I was so dis judgmental and critical. And, and as I thought about that, I thought about how glad I was God doesn't judge me and see me the way I see and judge other people. I began to feel this real sense of gratitude for God's compassion and grace and love for me, that he doesn't see me the way I see other people. And I felt really grateful. And then I thought, yeah, that song, I don't know who I'd be if I didn't know you, that's who I'd be, judgmental, critical, worrying about things that are not really mine to worry about. And the Spirit brings me back from the edge. It's only because God is in my life that I can view people with a measure of compassion and grace. And that when I take these things that God speaks on the Sabbath, it helps me, I remember them on the other days. When I'm judging people at the grocery store or other drivers. But that moment reset my perspective. And I trusted God for the day. I knew God would provide, as he always does. And this is the kind of thing that happens when we spend time in God's presence, when we take time off for Sabbath rest in whatever way works for us. I think this is what God wants, us to, do, wants to do in us. And when we set aside that day or hour or that few minutes and open our hearts and minds to God, it allows him to interrupt our normal, selfish, sinful thought patterns. And God restores and re-energizes our bodies and our souls. We let go of judgment and worry and see people as he does so that we can grow to live with the grace God had created us to live with on all the other days. When we stop striving and rest in Christ, we open ourselves up to be renewed, to grow trust and faith in him. God's rest sets up our life to be a life with him, a life of trust. And you might not have a whole day. You might start with a few hours or minutes, whatever works for you, but just do what you enjoy and appreciate God in it. Experiment with it. Be creative. Involve the people you love if that makes it easier. On the seventh day, God established a day to stop, rest, and delight. To delight in him, in the people we, he's created, in the world you live in. It was the culmination of his work and it's a vital reminder to us that we are not in charge and we can trust the one who is. Throughout scripture, God calls Israel to Sabbath rest and Jesus calls us to rest in him. When we do, we cultivate a life of trust, opening our hearts and minds for God to speak, for God to change us, for us to receive his presence and rest and peace and to trust the one who loves us most and best. As most of you know, if you came to the members meeting or saw any of the members materials, I have cut back on my hours and I'm planning to retire in another year. And like rest, retirement doesn't mean we stop everything. It just means we stop working at a job. And people ask me what I'm going to do and I don't really have a good answer yet. I think about it a lot. And last summer I just spent a lot of time reflecting and praying and asking God, how do you want me to see this? What do you want me to do next? And as I sat with God and listened for his leading, what I've heard is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's from Jeremiah 31. 
and know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. That's from Ephesians 3. And I have felt loved by God, not based on anything I've done or not done, just loved by God. And this is what happens when we make space for God's presence. He speaks love into our lives. In her book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, Ruth Haley Barton says this, when we practice ceasing in the way God intends, we touch the very ground of our being. We experience ourselves to be creatures in the presence of our creator, beloved children who are cared for and loved as human beings rather than as human doings. We begin to actually feel the love our heavenly parent has for us beyond what we are, beyond what we can produce or accomplish, which is part of the tenderness of the day. At least this is what happens to me. To experience ourselves cherished for who we are while not achieving anything or doing anything to earn the air we breathe is a revelation each and every Sabbath. As we allow our energies to, re to be replenished, rather than behaving like automatons who can just keep going and going, we are able to re-engage our work as energized partners with God in the goodness God wants to bring about in the world. And that's what God designed Sabbath to do. God wants us to know and feel his love, to experience ourselves as cherished as his beloved, apart from anything we do, and to be replenished and re-engaged and re-energized. And to feel loved by God is a revelation. It's a glorious thing to feel loved by God. And it's a glorious thing for me as I approach retirement, to not primarily feel regret and fear, which are my usual things, but just to feel loved by God. I know that I will feel regret and fear from time to time, but I don't think I'll be overwhelmed by it anymore. I feel God's love and delight. And it's very clear to me it's not because I've done a good job or anything I've done or not done. He just loves me. And he just loves you, apart from anything you do, apart from how good a parent you are or not, or a caregiver, or apart from your work or how much you produce. He just loves you, and he wants you to feel that. And this is what Sabbath rest can build in us as we seek God's presence. There's so much more to being a Christian than just coming to church and trying to do the right thing. And I hope you will seek God and Sabbath rest in whatever way works for you. It might not be easy, and there will be ups and downs and stops and starts. And maybe nothing will happen the first time or the first few times, and you'll feel disappointed or discouraged. But don't give up. Maybe you'll forget and get distracted. Just tell God you're sorry. But don't let the guilt and shame stop you from coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back to it and experimenting to find what works for you, and to find rest, to keep seeking the peace, joy, and love of the presence of God. This is the message of Genesis 1 and 2, that God created a world to be a place where he could rest with his creation, to love them and provide for them and to care for them as his beloved. And when we stop and rest in the presence of God, we remember that we are his beloved, that he cares for us, that he is good, and we can experience his love and grace as his beloved. 
When we practice ceasing in the way God intends, we begin to actually feel the love God has for us beyond what we can produce or accomplish. We experience ourselves cherished for who we are while not achieving anything or doing anything. It is a revelation each and every Sabbath. And his presence is rest, peace, joy, and love. And the glorious certainty that we are loved. God created the heavens and the earth so that he could make a home in it and rest with his people to love them and bless them and provide for them. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray.